What's up, guys? Brian Ratliff here. Just wanted to say thank you for tuning in to Keep the Faith Podcast. Grab your Bibles and let's dig in to the Word of God. A few years ago, I was driving on 220, probably hitting home from uh, being here on the campus of our church, and I was on 220, and I took a right on the exit ramp to get onto either Franklin Road or Electric Road. I'm sure you know right where that is. And uh, I noticed that as I was coming down the ramp to take a left to go back towards Tanglewood Mall, that a police officer, an unmarked police officer, pulled right up behind me. Now, I don't know about you, but I always get a little... Um, Um, uneasy, uh, a little uncomfortable, a little nervous whenever there's a police officer behind me. I have nothing to hide, but I just get a little uneasy about it. And I sat there for what seemed to be like eternity, staring in the rearview mirror, eyeballing that police car. And finally, the light turned green. And as soon as I take a left, lo and behold, the police officer gave me a blue light special. (laughs) And I pulled into Firestone parking lot, and I thought to myself, what in the world is wrong? I'm not doing anything wrong or illegal. And I'm thankful that I didn't say, officer, is there a problem, when he first pulled me over. And long story short, my tags were expired. It was February of like 2016-ish, and uh, they expired back in November of the previous year. So somehow I neglected and forgot to get that done. And so he wrote me a ticket, and and there I go on my way to court after a few weeks. And, and, you know, when you go into the courthouse, you can't hide yourself. I can't put my baseball cap on and my nice Ray-Ban sunglasses on so that I can be hidden. I was trying to stay on the low profile, and lo and behold, I walk into that courtroom, and sure enough, there's somebody I know. So they asked me, what did you do wrong? And so I had to share the story. But I walk in to the courtroom, and there I stand before the judge, and I provided the documentation that, that supported the fact that I, I once did not have my tags, uh, and now I do have them, and so he dismissed my case. Have you ever stood in that courtroom before? It's an uneasy feeling, but it's the best feeling ever when you have the evidence to support your case, and they drop the whole case. Well, I shared that to say this, that as we're thinking about the life of Christ we see that Jesus is now in what we would call the Supreme Court of the Jewish Sanhedrin, standing not just before any priest, but now before the high priest Caiaphas. And in our passage today, we see that Jesus is standing before the earthly priest, but this is the day that the high priest met the greatest high priest. So the title of my sermon today is this simple phrase, The Day the High Priest Met the High Priest. And what a day that was, my friends. Keep in mind that as we're studying the concept of the death of Christ, I've labeled the, the, the thought of these five messages about his death as, as this statement that the vicarious death of Christ means Jesus suffered on the cross to pay for the sins of humanity once and for all. The term 
vicarious just simply means that Jesus died in place of another for the benefit of the other. So in other words, when Jesus died on the cross, he died in our place so that we could benefit from his grace and love for all eternity. At least all those who cry out to him for salvation. But today, as we think about this message, the day the high priest met the high priest, I I thought to myself, how could I summarize this message with one simple statement? And here's the message today. The day Caiaphas met Jesus was the day a high priest met the greatest high priest. The day Caiaphas met Jesus was the day a high priest met the greatest high priest. Now, with that in mind, as you study the Word of God, you know that there are four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And there are times when there are different scenes that are not displayed in all of the Gospels. And as I've shared before, in Matthew's Gospel, chapter 26 and chapter 27, I believe it emphasizes some of the greatest detail about this aspect and time period of the life and ministry of Christ. But there are scenes that are not displayed here in this chapter about what's going on. And so what does the Bible teach about the day Caiaphas met Jesus? Well, I'm going to share that with you. And I'm going to share with you five scenes surrounding this day. But before we move in verse 57 of Matthew's gospel, I want you to take your Bible and turn to Mark chapter 14. Mark chapter 14. And we'll look at two verses here. And the first of five scenes we're going to look at today is this. The young man who fled. This is the scene in Mark chapter 14. Mark chapter 14, verse number 51. This is a very short scene, and, and this is, I understand the only time this scene arises in all four Gospels is right here in Mark chapter 14. And verse 51, the Bible says, And there followed him a certain young man. Now let's pause right here. In my mind, I begin to think to myself, who in the world is this young man? The Bible does not specifically say exactly who this young man was, but commentators believe that it is very possible that this is Mark himself. And so Mark himself perhaps is at this scene. And then the Bible says that he fled and ran away. Now, we don't know that to be dogmatically true, but it is interesting that if this was Mark, he fled the scene of the Messiah going to stand before the Sanhedrin. But it says that, that he was there and he had, a, 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 he had some clothes and he, and he threw his clothes away and there he was naked and he fled away. Maybe he ran away because of that situation. But anyways, the Bible says the young men laid hold upon him and he left the linen cloth and fled away from them naked. Now, most likely he was in his undergarments. And in the context of the Roman Empire and this Old Testament kind of concept, to be naked was to just be presented in your underwear in a public fashion. So maybe he was just in his underwear. Maybe he was completely bare naked. I have no idea, but I lean towards he had his undergarments on. But this is a scene right before Jesus taking uh, to see Caiaphas. Now turn back to Matthew chapter 26. Matthew chapter 26. Verses 57 through verse 68 reveals to us a second scene. And the second scene is the day Jesus stood before the Sanhedrin. Now let's pause right here. What exactly is the Sanhedrin? Well, as I shared before, this is the Supreme Court of the Jews in the Roman Empire. And it consisted of 70 different Jewish leaders, elders, and one high priest, the acting high priest. 
And so you can imagine there's Caiaphas along a board of 70 people. Can you imagine being on a board of just five people? It's hard enough to get everybody on the same page with five people. But now try being on a board of 70 different members and you're leading them. Uh, That'd be a challenging day to try to get all on the same page. But on this day, for some reason or another, they were all on the same page. Now, that's kind of like a summarization of what the Sanhedrin is. I can point to you in many different other articles and, and documents if you like more about that. Just see me afterwards. But it's interesting. As you study John's gospel in chapter 8, the Bible says that, uh, that here, if you just read here in Matthew's gospel, you would, you would miss this. But the Bible says that, that they took Jesus first to Annas. And Annas at one time was the high priest. And his son-in-law, Caiaphas, would become the high priest during this season of the life of Christ for a few years before and several years after. And so we we think to ourselves, well, who exactly is the high priest? Is it Annas or is it Caiaphas? Well, it's both. Just kind of like a president will always be known as president during their term and after their term. The same concept is here with the high priest. A high priest would come on the scene and serve their, their years of service, and then after they retire or pass that leadership on to somebody else, people would still view them as a high priest, and their level of influence would still be great. And so in John's Gospel, chapter 18, they see, we see that Jesus was brought before Annas first because he was an older man who once served as an acting high priest, and now he's kind of retired, if you will, and his level of influence was so great that they wanted to go to him first. It's kind of like this. If... if you remember uh, Pastor English served here as a pastor for years, and, and I came on the scene and became the pastor while he was living here and, and serving here still, and many people would go to him for questions about the Bible and for counsel, even though I was the acting and serving pastor, because he had such a level of influence in their life, and that's exactly what's taking place here in this time period. But look at verse 57. After they've taken Jesus to Annas, now they bring him before Caiaphas. This was the, the man who would serve as the high priest. Now, the, the most uh, notable part of service that the high priest did was once a year, they would march into the Holy of Holies and they would sprinkle that blood on the mercy seat on behalf of themselves for their sins and on behalf of the entire congregation of Israel. So keep in mind, this is the figure who did that. And he was also the one who in their own system of beliefs and, and system of law, the Jewish faith, would declare somebody to have life and declare somebody to have death and to send them before the governor of Rome. And so verse 57, we see that the elders and the scribes and Caiaphas is all assembled together. 71 people assembled that day. And the Bible says that Peter followed him afar. And we'll get to more about Peter in just a few moments. But there, if, if you can imagine, Peter said that he's going to follow him wherever he goes, even till death. And he's following along, watching all this scene take place. And the Bible says that he sat there all the way to the end. Verse 59, the Bible says that these chief priests and these elders and, and all the council, they, they literally sought false witness against Jesus to put him to death. In other words, they were trying to figure out a way that they could say he was worthy to die. But their witnesses could not agree. And you remember in the Deuteronomic law, the Bible says in the mouth of two or three witnesses shall every word be established. So they needed two people or three people who had the same exact story, who did not contradict in any way, shape, or form in order for this to move forward. And so in verse 60, the Bible says they found none. (laughs) Of course they found none because you can't accuse somebody who's, who is innocent You can't accuse the perfect, sinless, flawless son of God of doing evil and wrong or breaking the Jewish law. 
It says these false witnesses came one after the other, but they could not agree. They could not find a fault in him, just as Pilate, we'll see, did not either. And the Bible says that the last came two false witnesses, and they said, this fellow said, I am able to destroy the temple of God and build it in three days. In a parallel passage, we read how he meant of his earthly temple, his body, that he would, his earthly temple would be destroyed. And after three days, speaking of his resurrection, it would be restored. But then verse 62, the Bible says that Caiaphas now speaks to Jesus. Here, the high priest is speaking to the high priest. And he's still, this man was the one who marched in the Holy of Holies, the only one who could do that. And, and an expert in the law of God who should have known that this was the Messiah that was predicted by Moses and the prophets and the Psalms. But he still missed it. And he says, don't you answer or aren't you going to reply? Answerest thou nothing as the King James says? He says, what is it which these witnesses against thee? In other words, do you have anything to say about these people who are charging falsely? And Jesus, the Bible says, held his speak at peace. And as I think about this, I think sometimes when we're being accused of something we did not do, our temptation is to just defend ourselves in that comment section on social media when somebody starts accusing us. But sometimes the best thing to do is not to say anything at all. And that's what Jesus does here. He doesn't say anything. But we know he will eventually say something. And then he, the high priest looks at him and he says, I adjure thee. In other words, he's saying, he, he's, he's coming up to, to an ultimatum. And he's saying, hey, you've got to reply to us. He says, I adjure you by the very living God, who, by the way, he was staring face to face with. (laughs) Isn't that something? He was staring face to face with the incarnate son of the living God. And he says, tell us if you're the Christ, the son of God. I don't know. Did Jesus have to make it more obvious? I mean, He preached these amazing sermons who correlated Old Testament scripture into what's going to happen in the future. He he walked up to to the cemetery for Lazarus and spoke, and he came out of the grave. He gave uh, multitudes, 20 plus thousand people, food with five loaves of bread and two. Did he have to make it any more obvious that he was the Messiah, the Christ, the anointed one, and the Son of God? Caiaphas should have known. The Sanhedrin should have known. But the reality is, is prophecy and the sovereignty of God had it set up this way. And the Bible says, Jesus replies and says, you have said. Thou hast said. You said it, Caiaphas. In other words, affirming that he was who he said he was. Nevertheless, I say unto you, hereafter, you will see the Son of Man sitting on the right hand of power and coming in the clouds of glory or the clouds of heaven. And then Caiaphas looks around and he tears his clothes. That was an Old Testament um, concept of when somebody was going through grief, they would just rip their clothes. We don't really do that today unless you're a wrestler on WWE and ripping to show your strength. And here the Bible says that he looked out and he said, He has spoken blasphemy. Now, let's pause. The word blasphemy literally means to speak evil or ill of somebody or something. And specifically against God. 
Jesus was not speaking ill against God this day. He was literally declaring the truth about what was going to take place. But Caiaphas didn't want to believe it. The Sanhedrin and the Jewish council did not want to believe it. And he says, what further need do we have of witnesses? You have heard this man speak this, this blasphemy, these ill words that, that, that are wrong. And he, I can just imagine, can you imagine the chief um, person in a tribe uh, from primitive humanity, you know, going back centuries and there they are kind of, let's imagine we're in the jungle and you have the, the leader of the entire tribe and says, what do you think we should do? And what do you think we should do? And what do you think? Just kind of working up the flesh to, 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 to lead a charge. And I can just imagine that in this tribal scene of this Jewish council, that's exactly what the high priest is doing, what Caiaphas is doing. He's trying to work these people up to lead them to a decision he wants them to make. And they declare that he is guilty of death. And then verse 67 and 68 is, is a third scene that we'll see today. But let's, let's pause and let's reflect on the day Caiaphas met Jesus was the day a high priest met the greatest high priest. I shared about how the role of a high priest was to go in and to make atonement for the people's sin. And we will see that in the next chapter, that's exactly what Jesus will do for all those who confess him as Savior. Look at verse 67 and 68. The third scene is this. We see that after Jesus stands before the council, after the young man, perhaps Mark, flees and runs away, we see that now he is being mocked and whipped and in verse 67 and 68 is the scene of the mocking and whipping of Jesus. That's what Jesus went through so that we could have our sins remitted. Look at verse 67. After they declared that he is worthy and guilty of death, they spit in his face. Years ago, we were at church camp, and they had a, they had a um, contest about who could spit the sunflower seed the furthest. And it was the most nastiest, but at the same time, the coolest game. Watching these kids get up there and just trying to, you know, spit that sunflower seed as far as they can. I said this to say this, that just as, as we think about spitting a sunflower seed out, here the Bible says that they weren't trying to win a contest. They were walking up to the Son of God and spitting in His face. I can't think of, of a worse thing that could ever happen to you. Somebody walking up to you and just hawking a loogie and spitting it right in your face. Well, that's what they did to Jesus. And the Bible says they buffeted him. This is an old English word that simply means they begin to beat him. They begin to punch him. And the Bible says they, they go on and they, it says they, they others smote him with the palms of their hands. So they begin to beat him and then they begin to slap him. And then they were mocking him here. They were saying, oh, you're a prophet, we see Jesus. Oh, yeah? Well, who's hitting you now? You're supposedly the anointed one, the Messiah, the Christ. Oh, yeah? Well, why don't you predict which one of us is going to hit you next? That's what they were doing. They were mocking the Son of God. But I find it interesting that, that as we read this scene, Jesus doesn't do anything in response. What an amazing, powerful man to be spit upon, to be slapped and hit and punched, and to reply with nothing, and these people mocking him and scoffing him, and he does nothing. Jesus was a man who allowed his actions to speak louder than his words. 
and he did all these miracles, he preached all these sermons, and now in the greatest sense of adversity, he allows them to do what they want. Let's look at the fourth scene. As we think about the day Caiaphas met Jesus was the day a high priest met the greatest high priest. The fourth scene today is Peter's public denial of Christ. From verse 69 down to verse 75, we see that Peter, even though he said he would go all the way to the grave, naming the name of Christ, here he denies him three times. Look at verse 69. The Bible says, Now Peter sat without in the palace. So Peter is sitting a little further away, watching this whole scene take place and all go down. And the Bible says, A damsel or a young woman or a young maid comes to him and says, You were with Jesus in Galilee. You're one of the ones that were with Jesus in Galilee, aren't you? And the Bible says that he denied it before them all, saying, I know not what you are saying. Number one. In verse 71, the Bible says that when he was gone out into the porch, this is another region of the palace, so you know what a porch is. So you're inside the palace and you go outside on the porch. And then the Bible says that, that another maid or another young woman, another damsel comes to him and says, and says, this person, this fellow, this guy was also with Jesus of Nazareth. Begins to point him out like, hey, this guy right here was with Jesus. I remember seeing him over there. And again, he denied with an oath this time. And he says, I do not know the man. You can read the, the aggravation and the frustration in the words here that each time somebody said that, he began to get a little more angry and frustrated. I guess he was trying to keep a low profile, like me in the courthouse. But they saw him. And then verse 73, it says, and after a while, now let's pause right here. Some commentators believe this was maybe an hour or so. So maybe give a 60 minutes or, or an hour and a half or a couple hours, a time frame, and then somebody else sees him standing by and walks up to him and says, surely you were with Jesus. You talk like you were. Your speech, your manner of, of expressions and your accent is giving it away. And then number three, verse 74, the Bible says that he began to curse and to swear crying out and saying, I do not know this man. And immediately after that third time, the Bible says that rooster crew. In verse 75, the Bible says that Peter remembered in that exact moment the words that Jesus spoke about how after that rooster or crow shares out and, and cries out, you will deny me three times. And the Bible says he goes out and he weeps bitterly. This is not the last time we hear from Peter. If we think that this is the only time that, that Peter's mentioned by this fire here in this scene in this palace on the porch, my friends, you are mistaken. Because in the end of John's gospel, we read about how Jesus, after his resurrection, comes up to Peter at another fire where they're eating fish. And he says, Peter, do you love me? Yes, Lord, you know I love you. Peter, do you love me? Yes, Lord, you know I love you. Peter, do you love me? Yes, Lord, of course you know that I love you. I believe that is Jesus' way of giving grace and mercy to this man named Peter. I find it interesting that so many times we, we can be like Peter and we can deny him in our words and our actions and our thoughts and, and everything that we do and, and our promises that we make to him. But, but notice, Peter denies him. But at another fire, at the end of John's gospel, Peter's given another opportunity to serve. And in Acts chapter 2, you know who preaches on the day of Pentecost? Listen, it wasn't Paul. 
it wasn't James, it wasn't John, it was Peter. And thousands of people come to faith in Christ. In Acts chapter 4, Peter preaches again, and more people come to faith in Christ. Peter is used by God, and that's not the last we hear of him. He writes two epistles that are lodged within the New Testament, 1 Peter and 2 Peter, emphasizing the suffering in the Christian life and how we all go through trials. And he emphasizes that the scoffers are going to come in the last day mocking. And this is not the last time we hear from Peter. So listen, as we think about this scene, we know that there's times when I have failed and I have messed up and I have stumbled and I have fallen in my walk with Christ. But listen, let's get back up again. As the proverb says, the just man falls um, seven times but gets up again and rises up. We see that Peter didn't stay down even though he denied Christ. No matter what your situation is, how you're going in your walk with Christ, you can get back up and you can keep pressing forward. You can be used by God just like Peter was. The final scene is in chapter 27. Just keep in mind that these chapter and verse markings were not found when these writers originally wrote this. So the, the thought continues to cross over at times. And this is the fifth and final scene we'll look at today in verses 1 and 2 of chapter 27. When Jesus is brought before Pilate. The next day, after the scene in this palace with the Sanhedrin and Peter denying him publicly, the Bible says the morning came. And all these chief priests and elders of the people took counsel against Jesus to put him to death. They were trying to figure out, how are we going to get this Jesus guy to die? And then they bound him, and they led him away, and delivered him to Pontius Pilate, the governor. In the Roman world, you had a guy named Caesar who was the emperor of Rome. And throughout his empire, he had governors placed to oversee regions. And Pilate was the one overseeing this region. And you can check out extra biblical references and you can find that other sources outside of scripture confirm that this exact Pilate was the one overseeing this region in the day of Christ. And he would be the one that these Jewish people brought Jesus and he would stand before Pilate. And we'll see a few scenes later that they would choose Barabbas over Jesus. Caiaphas, this high priest, is face to face with the high priest. And I find it interesting that as we think about the Day of Atonement, how this high priest would march into that Holy of Holies and he would sprinkle that blood on that mercy seat. We know that Hebrews writes about how Jesus would go to the old rugged cross and there his blood would be sprinkled for the sins of humanity so that all we have to do is lift up our voices and believe in the name of Christ and our sins can be totally remitted and forgiven. And my friend, that is good news. Paul writes, there is one God and one mediator between God and man the man, Christ Jesus. You see, a high priest just functioned as a go-between, an intercessor between Jewish people and between God Almighty. And we know that Jesus comes in clothed in flesh in Bethlehem to be just that intercessor and high priest so that now we don't need another high priest. We have one. And his name is Jesus. The day Caiaphas met Jesus was the day a high priest met the greatest high priest. My closing question for you is this. As you might know about this high priest, we call Jesus, but do you know this high priest, Jesus personally? 
What's up, guys? Brian here again. Just wanted to say thanks again for tuning in to today's episode. You can check out this full message at PastorBrianRalph.com or Apple Podcasts or Spotify Podcasts. Keep the Faith is a ministry of Clearbrook Baptist Church in Roanoke, Virginia. If you're free one Sunday or Wednesday, we'd love for you to join us for worship. Until next time, God bless. I'm gonna walk by, I'm gonna keep my, I'm gonna live by faith. I'm gonna walk by, I'm gonna keep my, I'm gonna live by faith. Keep the faith, keep the faith, keep the faith, keep the faith.